Hey lovelies, before we get started, a few quick housekeeping notes. Wedding season is upon us, and I don't know about you, but I had events last week, I have events this week, it's a full calendar. If you are looking for pieces that will take you through not only this event season, but many more to come, check out my line of modest pieces available in sizes 2 through 24 by going to impactfashionnyc.com. I'm always happy to answer any questions you may have about styling or sizes. Talking about fashion is literally my favorite thing. I can be reached via Instagram DM at impact.fashion.nyc, by email at rifki at impactfashionnyc.com. You spell my name R-I-V-K-Y. Or you can use the chat box on the site. All of those go straight to my phone and I'm pretty quick about answering. This week's episode is with Javi Brook, an adoptive mom. Last week, I spoke with Rachel Safer, who is an adoptee. If you haven't heard that episode, I highly recommend going back in your podcast feed and listening to it once you finish this one. Rachel has a totally different experience than Javi, and that makes sense. They're on different sides of this equation, and listening to them together is gives gives more of a fuller picture of not only both sides of this equation, but also different experiences within the system. And I hope you enjoy the show. From Impact Fashion, it's Be Impactful, a show about the women making a difference in their own corners of the world. I'm Rifki Itzkowitz, and on today's show, I talk with an adoptive mom about the circumstances surrounding her children's adoptions. She shares what it's like to feel connected to an infant she had in birth, how that changed when they got older, and how she manages when one of her children says she doesn't want to be a part of the family. When I first mentioned to a friend that I wanted to do a more in-depth discussion on adoption, she immediately said, you have to talk to Javi Brooke. At the time, I was only vaguely aware of Javi and her unique family situation, but the more I learned, the more I felt like I had to talk to her. What I gained from this was not only an adoptive mom's perspective, but also how a woman of faith deals with life's challenges. What was I like as a little kid? So I'm the oldest of nine, so I think I was always like, you know, the responsible, you know, little like mini mommy, you know, I remember this story with my younger siblings and I was like telling them what to do or whatever. And they're like, you're not the boss of me. And I'm like, yes, I am. <laughs> so I think I, I do have that kind of leadership quality. I, I tend to be, um, you know, I'm, I, ha- I can have a lot of fun, but I feel like I'm a little bit more serious and a little bit more grounded and, you know, I'm definitely, uh, I love being social and I love, um, people, but I'm definitely more on the introverted side. Like it's hard for me to, like, I'm not definitely not the like person in the room. Like I'm definitely not the star, like what, what, what do they call it? Like when you're the attention of the room, like in a party, I'm like quiet in the side, you know, extroverted like, introvert. Welcome to the yeah, club. Exactly. So it's interesting because, because I do a lot of public speaking and I'm on Instagram and I have a blog, people automatically think that I'm like this extroverted, like, cause I don't have a problem doing that kind of stuff, but it is definitely in a big social situation. I'm kind of like, 
Yeah, I am. A, I I one hundred. I am exactly the same way. <laughs> Literally, exactly the same way. I, yeah. When you're in like big like social situations, like those big parties where it's like just work a room, do you find that you have to like go to the bathroom every half an hour just to take a deep breath? You know, I, I would like to, but um, it actually it's it's very interesting because I I um, my husband and I run the Chabad Center in Bozeman, Montana. So usually I'm the hostess, right? That's my job is to be social, right. whatever. So I don't usually have the luxury of like escaping to the bathroom, but sometimes I'm just like, okay, this is I could do this, you right. know? Exactly. Like there's there's an inner monologue that's happening where it's like, okay, we're okay, we're fine, it's gonna be okay. You got it, you did it. One conversation yeah. done. Now let's do the next one. That's me. Exactly. I, and, I, and I enjoy people, but it's just it's the i think where the heart where 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 it gets hard for me is that i'm terrible at small talk mm. so if i don't have anything to say if i don't know you very well if i don't have anything to say or there's kind of like i'm horrible at just like pulling things out of my hat or talking about the weather or just finding something to say i have siblings who can small talk and i feel like it is an amazing talent especially when you have my job and I don't have it. So it sometimes I dread. I'm like, what if I don't have anything to say to this person? What am I going to do? You know? Um, so that's where it's hard for me. Like the small talk thing is extremely difficult. Right. Yeah. That I, yes, I definitely relate <laughs> to that on a, on a very soul type yes. level. And yes. I'm kind of, and I would imagine that you don't make that much small talk. Like I kind of know you as a little bit more of an intense, deep speaker person, um, which I mean, it, it doesn't surprise me. We're, we're going to be talking about adoption today. Um, and you have five beautiful children um, and you have adopted them all. And I, and I feel like it takes a little bit of an intense person to do that. Um, so yeah. I, there's a part of me that kind of just wants to turn the floor over to you. Um, you know, what, what made you, what made you decide to adopt? Okay. So, um, you know, I grew up in a Chabad community, a very, you know, religious and, you know, well, I actually grew up in Texas. So my community was not religious at all, but, you know, our, our upbringing and our, you know, our, you know, just our commute, our larger community, it's, you know, big families, lots of children. It was my, I mean, I'm the oldest of nine. It was always a dream of mine to have a huge family. Like my mother would always laugh. I would, you know, when you draw pictures, when you were little, I always had like you know, stick figures, but like a million of them, you know, like, um, so, you know, and that was just what I expected. And I got married and it was just like, we don't give those things a second thought. And, you know, after I got married and I, we didn't get pregnant right away. Um, so we decided to, you know, so we started to explore, you know, some, you know, go to the doctor, try to figure out what was going on. And, you know, our story kind of takes a unique turn because we basically found out, you know, pretty much a couple months into our infertility journey that um, we have this like one procedure that we can do um, that would allow us to have biological children. And if that didn't work, that, I mean, that was like the last, you know, there was nothing else to do after that. All our eggs were in one basket. There was like nothing to do. So of course, like being the good, like faithful, like, of course this is gonna work out, you know, like there's no other way. Um, and, and so we, we went and we did that procedure and it wasn't successful. And the doc, the surgeon came out and he said, very poor bedside manner, let me just say. And he was just like, you guys aren't, you know, that's it. You're done. You're not having biological children. And he walked, he walked away. Um, and meanwhile, our world's like imploding and whatever. So, you know, that's what, that's the catalyst, right? Like, 
my husband and I not being able to have biological children. And, you know, obviously we were, you know, took time to process. And um, I think 15 years later, we're still processing, right? That's never a done activity. Like it just keeps on, you keep on having to process at different stages of life. And I think I'm processing now when I'm like 37 years old and I'm like, my biological clock is like, you don't have many years left. And I'm like, I never had a kid. And, you know, I never had a biological kid. Why is this bothering me? You know, but it's another thing you have to process. Like the time is up and you never got to do that. Right. Like, so it's always, there's always something to process, but so I, I told my husband, I'm like, okay, so you know, we're not having biological children. And, but I'm telling you right now, like I'm not being in this world without a family. Like, I don't know how to do that. I can pivot. I can like figure out another way to do it. I can, I can think out of the box, but one thing I'm telling you is that that's not happening. Um, and so we, you know, we're young. I was like 24. Well, if it was 15 years ago and you're 37 now, then you were 25. Were you? Yeah. Hold on. Can I count? Yeah. I'm not sure. Yeah, so, that feels whatever. right. Whatever. I was, I, I think I was 24. No, you were 22 because I can't count. Yeah. Sorry. Yeah. So 22 when I got married and then 24 when we found out that we were, we had a permanent infertility diagnosis. And so we, you know, we're, I'm 24. My husband's 26. We're babies. Right. And like, we're trying to navigate this thing pretty much by ourselves, you know, and, you know, looking into different options and we settled on what we both felt comfortable with. Um, I say that in quotations because the whole process is super uncomfortable. Um, you know, and we just decided that that's the path that we want, that we were, we were both on the same page and we wanted to take. And that's how we started the adoption journey. When you say that you were doing this pretty much on your own, what do you mean by that? Like, were you already in Montana at this point? I'm assuming that you're not in your family. Did you mean it in that way? We're already in Montana. Yes, we had already were in Montana. Um, Alone being that, like, who did we know? Who did, who did we know in, in the religious community, right? um, That had adopted, right? Nobody. We had right. no one to like, oh, let me call and ask for advice. Like what, you know, we had to, we had to do all the research, all the legwork, everything by ourselves. And even within our family, like, you know, oh, we can't have biological children. We're adopting like, yeah, you get empathy, but like, you know, practically, what is anybody going to do for you? Like no one really knows what to do with that information. Yeah. And no, and no one, you know, like it's our life. We have to figure it out. No one's going to do that for us. Right. No one's going to. Right. Okay. So now that we have this idea of adoption in our head, now, how do you make it practically happen? That's a whole nother step from. So, so this happened 15 years ago. I'm, I'm curious if in the 15 years since, um, like I, I'm going to presume that obviously not asking about your specific diagnosis or anything like that, but in 15 years, I'm presuming that, you know, fertility science and all of that has, advanced in a significant way was there ever a part of you that maybe five years after you get that initial you know at that initial diagnosis or maybe even 10 years after that or was there ever a point to you that was like let's get a second opinion like let's really go for it or was it yeah. what, what was <laughs> I that this question because um it's it just cracks me up because I you know when what once our story became public and after I adopted my first child and I spoke about it and then all, you know, we would get phone calls like, oh, there's this amazing fertility doctor, like maybe try them. So we, of course, we're like, we're not, we're not going to 
poo poo anything in their face. Like, right. Like why not? But we know, like we would, every time we would send our medical records to the new doc, to this new doctor. And he would look at who the surgeon was and he would look at our diagnosis and he'd be like, I'm so sorry. I can't help you Mm. like that every time. And even like recent in recent years that that still happens. Like, unfortunately, um, medical science is making advances, but I don't, I don't think it's going to be in our, in our lifetime or in our childbearing years that it's going to be anything that is going to, uh, benefit us in a practical way. Okay. So, so you make the decision we're going to adopt and you said, you know, you don't even know how to go about adopting. How does one go about adopting? So what did you, (laughs) what did you do? How did that work? How did that come together? this is what we did. And, um, I mean, it's, 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 it's amazing, but best thing to do is to just go to an adoption agency, you know, get your profile created and start like that. But we were young, we were, we were two years into our, our like life here in Montana with my husband's a rabbi. Like we don't have a salary. We don't, you know, we don't have a huge income and to, 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 to become involved with adoption agency, you need thousands of dollars upfront cash, like no credit cards, you know? So that wasn't an option for us. Like we didn't have the, the cash flow to go pause. And do that. If you want to adopt a kid through an agency, you need to sign up with an agency and then pay the agency. Yes. You're paying the agency for their services. So you're, there's no yeah. such thing as pay, paying for a child. That would that would be weird. Yeah, that's um, but you're paying lawyers, you're paying the agency to create your profile, to match you up. Like you're paying for the service, of the process. So, um, so we were like, okay, like we, we, we don't have a way to do that. Um, so the Chabad world has a very, very big network, right? We have Chabad rabbis all over the world. So this is what we did. We, and there's a, there's a, like a database where you can send an email to a big number of of these people. And we just, we sent, we, first of all, we spoke to some strategic people like around the world. And then we sent an email out and said, listen, this is what, this is what we're looking for. We're, we're looking to adopt a baby. If any situation uh, like presents itself to you, like just have us in mind, because when you're working in community outreach, right, you, when you're a rabbi, like you, you become, you encounter a lot of different scenarios and situations and, and, um, sometimes you will come across a situation where, you know, a birth mother is, you know, struggling or looking to give away a baby or whatever. And, um, and that's what we did. And it's really, really fascinating because all of our five children came to us that way. Um, it's, it's, it's unique. It's not something that, works for everybody. Um, I would say probably usually doesn't, but I mean, that, that was like, you know, like when God, like, you know, kind of sends you on a path, like that was our, like, it just was so that was our way, you know, and it, and it was, that's what, that's what happened for us. You kind of had the Jewish equivalent of like a baby being left on church steps. Yeah. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. Wow. I totally. like that. It's crazy. It's like, you, you know, that there are these networks out there and that, and, and, and that there are people who are, you know, doing this amazing community outreach, but it's also great to know that you, like, you have a certain sense of, of where your children came from. You know, you have a certain sense of, you know, of, of what their, what their story is. So, um, yes and no. Right. So like, usually uh, it's very common to have, um, 
you know, some knowledge about birth mom, but very rarely do you have knowledge about birth father, right. um, because they're not that's how this goes. Picture if that's not ha- if that's happening, so you you get you get a little bits and pieces here, but you, you, most of the time you're never getting like a full a full picture of what actually you know their genetics, their history, their you know um, what's going on. So it, it definitely has an element of you have. I mean, in in everything in life, like you do the best you can with the information you have, and then you have to take that leap of faith, like there's not really any other way to do it. And if you think about it, I mean, that's how we have to do everything in life, right? To get married, to have children, to a job, uh, you know, it's like, there's always has to be that push where you don't know how it's going to turn out. You don't know everything about the situation you're going into. So, so, so you take that leap of faith and you, and you adopt. So, so you, so you adopt your first baby who was Shoshana, I believe. No. So Shoshana is our oldest. Oh, she's okay. actually our fourth child that we okay. adopted. So Chaya is our first. Um, and she just had her bat mitzvah. She's just turned 12. And um, yeah, we, so, and she was born in Russia. Um, very, you know, I mean, like talk about having faith, right? Like a lot of people, we've had this conversation about like, oh, keep, keep the faith. Like you might still have biological children one day. And I'm like, that's there, you know, faith is not only about thinking what you want or believe should happen is going to happen. Faith is like, wow, like, look at this other thing, right? Like the faith is that this is, this is my path. This is my journey. Like, look how, look how all my children came into my, into our lives. Like how, how, like, do you get what I'm saying? Like, like you, you have this plan A, right? This plan A was, I'm going to get married. I'm going to have babies. We're going to raise them. It'll be fantastic. And plan A was off the table pretty soon. And then yeah. you get this incredible plan B. And for a lot of people, you know, when they think of faith, they think of, well, well, plan A might still work. Yeah, right. it might, exactly. but plan B is looking pretty hot too. So it's, it's yeah. about kind of tapping into the best version of what you have now. Right. And so faith for me, what I, what I adopt, adapted or adopted as my is faith for me is I have complete faith that the path that I'm on is the path that I'm meant to be on. Not that like, oh, I'll still believe one day this other path is going to happen. My faith is that this is my path. And I fully and and completely embrace that path. Plan B is your ideal plan. You know, I, I don't know. It's, you know, ideal is a hard word to use because would I still love to have a biological child? Would I still love to have the experience of growing a child in my stomach, giving birth? Like, I'm not, of course, like, I'm not going to say that that's, wouldn't be a dream of mine, but do I think that I am at, my life is how it's meant to be. And this is what is, this is what God had in mind for me. And this is what my, my purpose and my mission is a hundred percent. Okay. I hear that. I, I hear that. Yeah. There's a, there's a lot of nuance and, and distinction there. Yeah. One of the things that, um, that I spoke about with, uh, with Rachel Safer, who, if you haven't listened to last week's episode with her, I highly recommend that you do. So she was adopted as an infant. Um, and she spoke about how it was somewhat difficult for, um, so she, her, the first three months of her life, she was not with her adopted parents. She was in foster care because there was a legal situation. Um, and 
when she came to uh who you know her adoptive parents her mom as a as a three-month-old um it was it was somewhat difficult for her mother to connect with her uh, in foster care she had been basically placed in front of a television and as a three-month-old box that lights up very exciting so right, yeah, yeah. that was something that she that you know as a as an infant she preferred the television to her adoptive mother and you can't you know you can't really blame her for that um i'm curious what it was like for you if, if you're if you're comfortable sharing you was there an immediate connection with the children that you adopted yeah um from so uh, it's a very common question and um i i have to say that i i'm i'm very blessed that with my children that i got as infants as babies i was also about three months um i i i did like i i held that baby in my hand and i was just like this is my baby you know and i did feel that immediate connection now you know, for me, it's interesting because when it became harder as they got older, um, so that foundational, that immediate connection, the attachment, thank God, I'm so lucky to have that foundation of attachment. Um, but as they get, as they got older and, and certain, you know, things come, come out when you're older, right? When you're an infant is an infant, right? There's not much behaviors except for screaming that is going to differentiate one infant between another in the sense of like an infant has a, these four needs and, you know, but as they become their own human, as they become toddlers, as they start to express themselves, different things come up, right? And their, their attachment or their trauma or whatever they dealt with in their subconscious starts to slowly come out. And I find that as they get older, it becomes more challenging than when they were infants and they were like little cuddly babies. It was very natural for me. When you say older, do you mean toddler stage or do you mean like preteens I mean starting at eight for me it's like from my observation out of my five children one of them I adopted at 12 so um but from my from my observation it's about ages three four where you start to see some of their unique um challenges coming out and then at different stages different ages like um it's very interesting because one of my daughters I, I'll you know anonymously is having a really hard time right now. You know, she's, ex and I'm so grateful that she's expressing it, but I don't know if I want to be part of this family. Our family's so chaotic. It's, there's so much, everybody, everybody has issues. Everybody's struggling, everybody. And I don't want to be part of this. Okay. She's also, she's part of it, right? Like she's, right. she also has drama and issues, you know, whatever. It's very Honey, cute. all families are messed <laughs> up. I'm sorry. But, <laughs> but, you know, we do have an, you know, we do have an extreme situation and, um, it could be very overwhelming and um, it could be overwhelming as a parent. Of course, it could be overwhelming for a child and especially one who's already struggling with her identity and where do I really belong? And so I do think as things, as they get older, they, they process more deeply. And my son who's eight and black, like when he was a toddler and an infant, it, it wasn't meant nothing to him, but now it's a big deal. He's really like, like coming to terms with the fact that he looks different than, than never mind his family, his whole town 
right? But right. I was just gonna say, you live in the middle of nowhere, Montana. How many black people are there in Bozeman, Montana? I, I can count on my finger. And most of the right. other black children that there are, are are because they're adopted as well. Like, so, I mean, there is not, we don't, I mean, we live in a wonderful, beautiful, loving, open community, but it's not diverse, right? right. Just because of the nature of where we live, it's so, and the, and the nine months of winter, and it's not, it's not easy to get to, like, there's not diversity. It's just the way it is, you know? Um, and, and it's, it's, it's a, it's a thing like, though you're not going to coast by these things, they have to be processed and addressed and picked apart and, and felt right. Like these are the things that, that come up. So like at, at three, four, maybe that comes out more in some, you know, extreme behaviors at, you know, older, that could be when they're older too, but then, you know, the intellectual part starts to play a role. Like why and how and when and who am I and what am I doing here and um do you love me and you know all those kinds of things like those are big those are those are really big questions I'm thinking of the the scene that just popped into my head is I'm a big fan of this is us so you know oh, yes me too. It's, it's a great show um, <laughs> yes. it's a fantastic show and and the the scene that just popped in my head is the scene when they're by the pool and it's when the kids are all little and and they're by a public scene. they're by the public pool and a black mother notices that Randall has these like razor bumps or whatever on the back of his head and she's like you're, you're taking him to a white barber and that's not gonna work like you need to go to someone yeah. properly and and also by the way he needs sunscreen like all of the those things that she just doesn't know because she just doesn't know and there and there is a you know to a certain extent there is that's an extreme example right you're very white he's very black and there's kind of almost an obvious difference there um but in a way also you know if you're it's it's a lot to hold it's a lot to hold all of your children's trauma and they all come from you know different places and even if it you know even if they came to you as infants like you're right there's a there's a subconscious element there and it's a lot to it's a lot yeah. to carry. I mean, it's a big job and it's hard because, you know, you have, you know, I was just talking to my husband a couple nights ago, you know, when one of my daughters was expressing this, like, I don't even want to be here. And, you know, it's very hard not to take that personally, you know, um, but it's our job because it's not about us, right? It's about, you know, her trying to figure out herself. And our only job is to listen and tell her that her feelings are okay. Right. Right. Not to make her feelings about how we feel about them. Um, Although it, you know, breaks your heart inside, but she needs to know that whatever she feels is okay. And, um, and it's normal. It's, it's an appropriate feeling. It's okay. Keep talking about it. We can, you know, and, and just be, let, let her be in her feelings. Right. And sometimes, you know, we, we fail at it and we don't do it right the first time. And we were like, what do you mean? This family's amazing. And you list all the reasons why, you know, of course you should want to be in this family. And then, but it's not never too late because you can always go back and you can repair and you can say, you know what? I let my feelings get the better of me. You know, this is really not about me. I want you to know that whatever you're feeling is okay. And we got this right. Right. So you, you try, you do the best you can, but we also, we're also human. We're also, you know, we're invested so much in our children. So it's very hard to all of a sudden say, step back and don't take it personally. Right. What do you mean? Of course it's personal. Like she doesn't want to be in this home that I am running. She has literally rejected me as a mother. How is that not personal? Exactly. (laughs) Yeah. And, and this is what I fight with my therapist all the time. I'm like, you want me to be invested and you want me to do the best I can. And I, I mean, I want to, I want to be invested. I want to do the best that I can. I want to give them my all. But when they step all over me, I should be like, oh, it's not about me. 
right? Like that's yeah. a very hard tight rope to walk. But as parents, we, 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 we try, we have to do the best we can and figure that out because it really isn't about us. If you think about it, right. And it really is about all the, like what they're, what, what the messages are sending themselves and what they're going on, what's going on inside of them, what's happening around them. Right. It's, you know, so it is, it is a challenge. It is. And it's, I, I have never been a parent, so I'm going to speculate for a second, but to me, it seems like while these situations are different, it seems to me like the questions would be the same. Like there are rebellious kids born with their biological parents. You know, there are, and rebellious is even the wrong word. There are, I think that to a certain extent, all kids have those, those types of questions. And, you know, I, I definitely had moments as a preteen and teenager where I was like, I'm not being a part of this family anymore. I'm leaving, which, right. I mean, I, I'm not great at follow through, right. but like yeah, <laughs> that, that, that definitely happened. And it's, and, and it's just, you know, it's, you're, you're parenting, you're parenting in all of its, in all of its guts and glory, just yeah. in a very different yeah, situation. I, I, I agree with that. There's an element of parenting that's, that's across the board. We're going to, all parents are going to deal with challenges and are going to deal with, um, um, a lot of different humans who are finding themselves. Right. I, I, I do think that, um, Adopt, uh, parenting an adopted child does fall into a little bit of a different category. I think that, yes, there's a lot of similar parent parenting situations. And I think a lot of biological par- children can, can, can struggle with some of the things that adoptive kids struggle, but I, I do f- feel like that's is why there are adoption support groups. There is an element of, of something that's that's different that happens when you're an adoptive mom and uh, that's okay. Like I prefer to, to be open about that and say that instead of me trying to be like, it's just like every other thing, right? It's, right. it's not, it is, it does have its element of uniqueness of its own unique challenges. And um, I just think it's important that people understand that. To recognize the differences. Yeah. Like, yes, all parenting is hard. Yeah. And, you know, and some adoptive parents can have it easier than some biological parents, right? Like it's not a, a, a what do I always, a comparative suffering game, right? right? Like that's not what this is about, but there is an element of like, I can speak, even if I never even met them before, like I can speak to an adoptive mom and we have, we can, it, it's just same lingo, same, like there's a, there's a, there's like a, like a, I don't know how to, the bond and like, uh, you don't have to explain yourself kind of then speaking with right. a biological mom. Like it's just, it has, it, it is, it's different. And I think instead of trying to be like, we're the same, just recognize that it's, it is, a, it is a unique experience and it's not the same. Yes. They share a lot of the same qualities, but it's not the same. Yeah. I, I definitely hear that. You mentioned that, uh, one of your children you adopted when they were older, when they were, uh, yes. when they were 12. Yes. I'm curious what, I'm sure that there's got to be a world of difference between adopting a preteen and adopting an infant. Um, and I, and I'd love if you could talk a little bit about that. Okay. So yeah, like, like you say, world of a difference, <laughs> like no similarities. <laughs> I wish everyone um, could see your face right now. You're just like, yeah, yeah. no, yeah, really yeah. for real. <laughs> um, I, 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 I do. Um, I think it's one of the hardest things that my husband and I have ever done um adopting a preteen a 12 I mean like imagine a 12 year old a regular 12 year old like 
they're difficult, you know, <laughs> like, um, and then adopting a 12 year old, obviously, who's not coming from, you know, unicorns and rainbows, or else she wouldn't be um, in need of adoption. Um, and so it's definitely, definitely such a tremendous experience um, that it's hard to put words to, but, you know, I am so grateful for it. It, it completely um, pushed me and my husband to reach, dig deep and become people that we, we never would have been able to be without, you know what I'm saying? Like it's the circumstances that push you to dig deeper, be better, learn more, like, you know, be more educated. Like you don't do that kind of stuff on your own voluntarily, right? You gotta be pushed to do that kind of stuff. So um, it's been an amazing experience um, and amazing in both ways, amazing, wonderful, and amazing. One of the hardest things you've ever done, you know? Um, and it is, you're, you're, you're not adopting a little infant that, you know, is, you can mold and you can, you know, is growing up with your values and your love and your support, right? It's, you're taking a, a, a like in Torah, a, an adult, right? Like <clears throat> a fully formed human that has opinions, that has traumas, that has, you know, the way that they lived for the last 12 years. And all of a sudden you're, you're a parent to that, this child and it's not smooth sailing. Like it's, there's no way that it could be. Right. In my opinion. I'm trying to think of a not terrible way to ask this question. So I'm just going to go for it. And go I don't it. mean it terribly, <laughs> but I presume that, you know, like you said, you had this network that you, that you reached out for your adoptions. And when you were looking to adopt your fourth child, I'm going to assume, and correct me if I'm wrong, that you were looking for another infant. When this 12-year-old came up, was there a part of you that was like, nope, not feeling it. Let's stick to babies. Okay, so um, it actually happened to be that we were not looking at the time for, it wasn't like an email went out and we were looking. Like, this is something that Hashem, like, talk about the, you know, the infant in the basket in the fire station. Like, Hashem literally sent her to us. She joined our summer camp and... Um, it just became very clear that she needed a home. And of course we asked ourselves, like, this is, you know, like, is this something that we can do and should we do this? And, you know, my claim to fame is I really don't think things through. Like, I'm kind of like, <laughs> I kind of do stuff. And I mean, that's kind of what happened. It was like, okay, she needs a home. All right, here we are. You know, she needs a house. I have one. And that's kind of how it happened. And um, sometimes, sometimes I'm like, maybe I should think things through a little bit more. But then I wouldn't have the life that I would have, you know? And I, I, I truly believe that this is a life that I'm meant to have. So um, Hashem, it's like a thing, right? Like it's a person, like the reason why I have the life the way I have is because of the way Hashem created me and my personality allowed those things to coexist, right? Um, so... Yeah. So it wasn't even like we were looking or in the market or like, you know, there was no emails. There was no, like, it was literally Hashem. And that's how I operate. I'm like, Hashem put her in our home. And I'm going to say, well, no, thanks. Like, right. um, it's hard for me to, I really believe in divine providence. I believe that everything happens for a reason. I believe that we're, we, we encounter the things that are meant to change and be a part of our lives. And so that's, that's what happened. 
Right. Yeah, it's, I, I mean, it's hard for me to wrap my head around, honestly. It's because it's it's such a unique experience and it's something that, yeah, you're right. It's like when a kid shows up and a kid needs needs a home, well, okay, I have one, let's go. And right. And then you kind of figure it out as you go along. Yeah, and I always say like, of course, like it would have been totally acceptable and normal and probably more responsible to be like, we're not, you know, we, you know, we don't really know what we're doing. We're not really cut out for this. We don't have, you know, we don't have the tools. Like it would have been totally acceptable, right? Like that would have been an okay thing to do. But for me, it didn't, that didn't feel okay. Right. Like for me, I, I almost felt like, what, what's the question? Like, how could I knowingly know that this child is an unsafe environment and me say like, I'm so sorry. I just, it's not for me. Right. Like, even though that's totally appropriate and acceptable. And sometimes we do have to do that. Right. Sometimes we do have to create some boundaries and, you know, take care of what we have right in front of us. And and just in that moment, it just, that's not what was meant to be, you know? Right. Yeah. That's it's in, in that moment, it was just like, this is, this is what, this is the right option for us and, and for what, and for what she needs. Um, your family looks incredibly unique. You have five children, one of whom is black. Your oldest child is your fourth child. You have this, you have this very unique looking family. Um, and I'm curious if you've been in some uncomfortable situations. You know, what are some of the things that and and really, really the real question is, how can how can the rest of us, you know, looking at families like yours, how can we not be buttheads like how can we be better supportive how can we kind of understand what we're looking at and um you know and not say the wrong things okay so i i might have a unique perspective on this but my perspective is is that you you get what you put out there so i've never been in an uncomfortable situation because i've never been uncomfortable So if I'm not uncomfortable with my family, then no one else is going to be, right? Because people pick up on insecurity and and uncomfortability if you are. So if I'm like walking with my family and I'm like, okay, like, oh, I'm embarrassed or, oh, let's, you know, many stand over here or, you know, whatever, like, then of course people are going to pick up on that and be like, well, she's, you know, it's all subconscious, but it's like, well, she's not okay with it. Like, why should we be? But if you're comfortable and you're, and that's the energy that you're putting out there, very rarely will I encounter an experience where people aren't accepting because I, I'm, I'm comfortable. I'm, I'm accepting of my own situation. So do people talk? Of course, people talk, people love to talk and I'm happy for them to like, for them to talk about my family. And that's why I speak about my family because if they're going to talk about it, let them at least have the information to talk about it. Let's at least get an accurate gossip going. Right. Like (laughs) here you are, here's all the information you can talk about. Right. So I, I want to say that like, I've never felt uncomfortable because I'm not uncomfortable with my family. Now, I do want to say that my son might experience some things on his own um, that he might feel uncomfortable in his own skin or and and therefore he has uncomfortable situations. I, I, I can't speak for him, but right. I can say that you know, I wouldn't, it wouldn't be surprising. And um, he has come home with certain stories that our job is to like, just listen and support. And, and my job, I can't protect him. 
I'm, my goal is not to protect him from the outside world of racism and all that kind of stuff. It exists. He's going to encounter it. My job is to just hopefully build him up to a place where he knows that he's okay, no matter what he is. And when someone acts inappropriately towards him, it's, be, it's on, it's on them, not him. Right. It's because right. of who they are and what they're dealing with in their life. And it's nothing to do with who he is. That's my job. Right. I'm never going to be able to people are like, what, what, what's going to happen? I'm never going to be able to protect him. I just have to prepare him and I just have to, you know, surround him with the love and support. So he has the self-esteem to be able to handle racism or 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 some stupid comment that's not even racism that's just ignorance like it is out there I'm not going to be able to stop it and I'm not trying to right right so um my experience yeah how do you so what is there something specific that that people can do to better support adoptive families or to just to or to just generally be more aware you know, um, the best, like the advice, I get this question a lot and, and people are always like, how can I support my friend who's going through infertility? How can I support my friend who's um, adopting? How can I support my friend who's struggling in any area, right? And my favorite answer is ask them. Ask them. <laughs> so how simple. I, how can I support you, right? Because right. support looks different for different people. Like some people want to talk about it and want you know, you know, I don't know all the stuff. And some people just don't and, and support looks different. So there's no way you're going to know how to support a particular person unless you ask them. So, Hey, um, so-and-so I know you're, you know, you're really struggling with this in this scenario. I really want to be here to support you. How can I do that? Right. Someone might say, yeah, like, I would love for you to drop off dinner one night. Some person, some person might find that offensive, right? Like, so it's really so individual. And I, I'm not going to stand here and say, this is how you need to support someone in this situation because it's different. My advice is you ask them, don't try to read their minds. Don't try to, and, and don't worry. Like, I, I can tell you this almost hundred percent sure. So we'd rather be asked treated with, you know, treated not with kid gloves, not trying to, you know, tiptoe around us. Just ask us, how can I support you? So simple. So it's so, so simple and so wise. It's and so hard though. Like I, it's hard to, to, to do that though. Like you, you're, 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 you don't know, you're embarrassed, you're shy, you're this, you're that, you know, but really it's the best way. And you will avoid so many miscommunications and so many like silent like hurt feelings right just just ask right right no you're right you're you're 100 right i can't believe that we have to wrap this up already it's like we've blown oh, by the time so i know right this was this was a really enlightening conversation and thank you so much for for sharing your story with us if somebody wants to learn more about you javi where can they go okay so i actually do have a blog um and it is called clearasmud.blog love the name um, by the way it's so good yes, i mean i just kind of feel like that's for it's, me that's how life always was right yeah clear as mud mm-hmm. nothing was nothing exactly nothing, like you have to figure it all out um and then i'm on instagram um i talk very openly on instagram i talk a lot about my life what's going on adoption i actually have a child with um a really rare genetic disorder that's more of a physical special needs um, that we didn't even touch upon. Um, so 
I do. I do a lot of stuff on Instagram. It's very fun for me. I enjoy it and I love the engagement. And um, that's kind of what I'm doing these days. I also have a Tanya class that I do on Zoom every Wednesday. Um, it's Jewish mysticism um, at 1 p.m. Eastern time. You can come to it live. You can look and listen to a recording. There's a link to that class in my bio on my Instagram page. So that's kind of what I have going on right now. Um, and it's very, it's, yeah, I love it. It's awesome. That's, yeah, I love it. I'm going to link all of that in the show notes so that you can uh, sign up to those if you're interested. And the last thing that I want to ask you, Javi, is what I ask everyone who comes on the show. And that is to you, Javi Brooke, what does it mean to make an impact? Oh, such a good question. Um, to me, making an impact... Oh my gosh, I can say so many things. How do I pick just one? Um, I think it's first looking inward, um, doing the the work that you need to do as a human so then you can show up um, in, I hate to use the word authentic because it's so overused, but in a real way that, because what goes from, what comes from the heart goes to the heart. So if you really want to make an impact, it has to be something that's really coming from you. And just nobody has your unique gift, right? Nobody is exactly like you. So be you, don't try to be somebody else, be you, share the you with the world, whatever that might be. And that makes an impact. I love that. Thank you so much for coming on today, Javi. I really appreciate it. Thanks so much for having me. It was such an honor. Thanks for listening. If you'd like to learn more about Javi, her links are in the show notes. Last week, I spoke with adoptee Rachel Safer. If you haven't heard that conversation, it's already in your podcast feed. I highly recommend you go back and listen. The Be Impactful podcast is a project of impact fashion, a clothing line I created because I believe that we are all deserving of the beautiful things life has to offer. See my modest designs that are available in sizes 2 through 24 by going to impactfashionnyc.com. Access all of that by swiping up on the cover art. There are currently 11 people listed by Ora Note as a recalcitrant party. View their names, photos, locations, and details of their cases by visiting getora.org slash recalcitrant-parties. The episode art was designed by Michelle Moses. Original music composed by Nissan Fatman. This episode was produced and hosted by me, Rifki Itzkowitz. Catch me on Instagram and Facebook at impact.fashion.myc. As always, here's to making an impact together.